first lesson this morning is from Malachi, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. That day is coming and, um, and shall set them ablaze, said the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, said the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you and with thy spirit. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke in the first chapter, beginning at the 57th verse. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zachariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing table and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that, they should be saved from our, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, shall serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high 
to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to thee, Christ. Well, let's pray together. Father, give us grace now to prepare for your son's return. That we may show forth in our lives the way of his kingdom as we wait for his coming again to make all things new. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, my family did uh, gender reveal parties when Sally Jane, my wife, uh, was pregnant with our two kids. Uh, we didn't know the gender, and I dropped off the ultrasound results at our favorite bake shop and had cakes made uh, with inside them either blue or pink, uh, depends on the result, of course. And we got together with her family and had everyone make their guesses. And then, at, the, at that moment, we then cut the cake for the grand reveal. Now, that was just a, a simple and fun way that, that got our people together. It was a great excuse to have tons of sugar, and more so, it was to get, give us an idea as to who our child will be to the world. Now, I know gender reveal parties these days, they've gotten some bad rap, but they're still how people are still getting together to celebrate and welcome a baby into the world. And that was no different in Israel back then. See, the gospel story that was read for us, it talks about how people got together to celebrate, to welcome a baby. Now, unlike Mary and Joseph that we will be celebrating and thinking about tonight and tomorrow, they had no family around them to come around them when they finally welcomed Jesus. But in this story, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had the privilege, they had the joy of many friends, many relatives come around them to welcome their son. Now we learned earlier that their son was not going to be ordinary. Uh, he was conceived very well into late menopause, and there had not been a miracle in Israel for hundreds of years. And here finally was a sign that God was up to something very big very soon. Gospel writer here, Luke, here, he's actually about to portray John's birth, John the Baptist, as a transition point in history, just as it was for the birth of the prophet Samuel in the Old Testament. That was thousands of years ago. See, John and Samuel, they were actually quite the same people. They were both miracle babies. They were both from the tribe of Levi. They were both dedicated after birth as Nazarites, that is, people given over to special service to God. They both eventually became prophets themselves, and they both got to anoint kings. See, Samuel anointed King David, the most popular and famous king of Israel. That transitioned Israel out of the time of the judges into the time of the kings. That's what he did. And there is John the Baptist. You know, he anointed Jesus, as it were, in baptism. That transitioned our history out of the old covenant and into the new covenant. So again, John's birth here is a turning point in history. 
And we now get to appreciate this in our days of the new covenant. We get to look back and see how God has unfurled the progress of the redemptive history of our world. But back to our story, Zechariah, Elizabeth, the immediate community barely had any clue as to what was about to happen to them, what was going on in front of them. They had at least an idea that something significant is about to go on because of this miracle of a pregnancy. People got together. They came around this couple. They celebrated. They waited for the birth announcement. They were all eager to name the kid. Now, back then, naming a baby, that was a sacred community event. It was an occasion that charted out the life and future of the child, and it became the custom to name a baby, the baby boy, during his circumcision, a Jewish practice, which to some extent is carried forward today in some churches at the event of christening, right? That's when a baptized baby is given a Christian name. Naming of the child was an occasion that got people together. They were there to witness. They were there to welcome this child of Abraham and to be physically marked as an inheritor of the covenant. And part of that custom, too, it became that the eldest son to that family was to be named after either the dad or the granddad. That's why the family and friends, as we read, they were ready to call the baby Zechariah Jr., Of course, the parents, they had the last say in all of that, but you just have to keep in mind there was this cultural expectation around that. That's why it was to everyone's surprise that the mom said, no, he'll be called John. Now, you probably recalled that was per instructions by the angel Gabriel. That was nine months ago. That's quite a long time ago. It was Zechariah, the guy, the dad who got the instruction. So it's implied that he passed that information off to the mom. So imagine again, since that time, after nine months, that's a lot of time that had gone by. Just keep that one detail in mind. A lot could have gone on in those nine months. The time of decision had finally come. The birth, the circumcision is here. Would John's parents follow through with the angel's words? Would they have even remembered that one instruction? So the point of the circumcision of the boy, a local priest or a physician would have made a home visit to check up, check up on the baby and then to do the procedure. That was convenient for Elizabeth. You know, she was just a week and a day ago had just given this incredibly risky birth in her old age. And who knows how she was doing postpartum. So we just picture now mom and dad They're beside each other. They're looking longingly, wondering who their son will be. He's now in the arms of the physician or priest, screaming at the top of his lungs as a ritual procedure is done on him. And there were these family and friends that had visited. They've come around to witness what's going on. It's a community event. And some of them are muttering to themselves, Oh, isn't Zechariah Jr. just like looks like his dad? Right? All of that noise going on, and then the exhausted mom hears this, and somehow her memory is jogged, it's triggered, that the naming of her son was going to be a big deal. Right? In the thick of the crying, the noise, the commotion, Elizabeth remembers the word of Gabriel, and then she takes a step of faith, 
And you know what? She goes against all cultural expectations. She blurts out loud, perhaps even nervously. It's like, not so sure about this, but I'm going I'm to say this. Uh, no, my boy's name is actually John. His name is John. Family and friends, they all look confused. What? They, is Zechariah okay with this? Like, none of your relatives are called John. So they double-check with dad, who's apparently also deaf, not just mute, because they had to make signs to him to grab his attention. They, they elbow Zechariah, and then he's asked the same question. Have you decided on the boy's name? And that too, Zechariah comes to him that, yeah, there's something big that's going to happen with the naming of this boy. It dawns on him that this is going to be a big deal. So he asks for his writing tablets, likely made out of soft clay that you could put an impression on. It's now his moment of decision. Is he going to follow the words of Gabriel? Or is he going to go along with what's expected? And he takes a step of faith. He writes down, his name is John. To everyone's surprise, they all wondered. Both parents are aligned. They made the same decision. They remembered. They passed the test of faith. And at that moment, Zechariah's tongue and his ears, they were all loosed. The first thing that comes out of him finally were blessings unto God. Now let's pause here. Let's just dwell in the moment. Elizabeth had this incomparable task of gestating John in her body for nine months and gave birth to him. That was her unique part to play in this turning point in history. But there was also the father, Zechariah, here, and his own weird part to play in the same. For nine months of holy silence and deafness, he was spiritually speaking gestating what the Holy Spirit had conceived in his inner being, now the prophetic blessings of God that is yet to be publicly and explicitly announced for the first time. The hearing of so many people in this hill country of Judea that God's promises to Abraham are now finally being fulfilled in the eyeballs, in the sight of so many people of God's covenant community. Right? Let's, let's just go back now. Last week, there was another song that was sung. It was by Mary. She sung her song. She had her solo called the Magnificat. It would prophesy the same promises. It fulfilled for the world in and through her son of promise. She sung her song. But it was in the privacy of her between her and Elizabeth's company. No one else heard that song. That was wonderful. This time, there was another song. It became, a hit, it became a hit song. It was with Zechariah in the presence of so many relatives and people around the hill country of Judea. The promises of God are now being declared out loud for the first time with more prophetic detail and nuance. This is, again, the first time that news of the gospel is publicized. So even before John the Baptist got to grow up to be that messenger of Jesus, John's father before him had already prepared the way in front of his friends and family, just as his son would do decades later. 
So what we have here is that at the turning point of history, we get to see a mother in her old age who physically brought John into the world. But we also get to see a father in his old age who verbally brought gospel prophecy to the world, himself a herald of heaven who had delivered this fresh prophetic revelation to a people who's wondering, where is God? What is God up to? What has he to say to us? What is the strangeness of this miracle? Elizabeth physically made it happen. Zechariah prophesied what just happened. It was a couple effort. That was a team effort. And that song, that it's commonly called the Benedictus, that publicly endorsed God for finally making good his promises to Abraham. And then the second part, it sings about John, who will be like Elijah, who will restore many people back to God as he prepares for the Messiah's arrival. Yeah, we, we could spend more time digging into the song, but that will be for another sermon. But actually, I, I, this is where I want to sort of dwell on for the rest of the sermon. is that As I read the story for a number of times, this question came to me. Why did Luke... Luke put in so much detail and context around the birth of John. I mean, just as I recounted all the details that I just did in the story, Luke actually spent more time and more words talking about the parents of the guy who would prepare for Jesus than he did about the birth of Jesus. Why did he do that? It's partly just Luke being a journalist, like recording eyewitness account. That's factual, but I believe it's also partly Luke's way of, of vindicating, vindicating the faithful people, the prophets, who had come all the way back before Jesus is coming. And all those people, that includes this guy, Zechariah, this lady, Elizabeth, People whose stories, they all started out very poorly at the beginning. Two weeks ago, we heard from Tim about how Luke started off his gospel with the stories of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were a couple, we would think, that would have been automatically been blessed by God. But they were not, conventionally speaking, right? And Tim got us through with the meanings of their Hebrew names, right? Zechariah, it means... God remembers. But his life story so far seemed like God had forgotten about him. Then there's Elizabeth. Her name means God's oath. But her life story so far seemed like God didn't promise anything to anyone, especially to her. But then here suddenly, after nine months of this weird gift of heavenly quietness, Zechariah bursts out in song saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who remembered his holy covenant. Who remembered his holy covenant. <laughs> That's Zechariah's name right in that song. That's a lyric. His name is in the song. And he goes on. God has fulfilled his oath. He swore to Abraham. The oath he swore to Abraham. That's that's Elizabeth's name in the song right in there too. Zechariah keeps going because of the tender mercy of God. The tender mercy of God. Tender mercy means grace. 
That's the name of John, right? In that song too, John means God's grace. Elizabeth, Zechariah, John in the anthem. This tiny family of three whose story started out so, not so well at the beginning. Their names are woven into this first prophetic anthem that's declared to Israel. Vindication. Vindication at last. What this means for us today is that God is not about rushing into anything. He's not rushing into this final future point in time just so that he can get everything done and over with. He's not about that. No, the journey to that future is as important and meaningful to him as is the destination. And everyone and everything that is caught up along that journey, they're so significant to God. As this year we celebrate, again, Christmas, it's not just about trying to get to celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's also how we get to that point. And all the people who took their parts, who took their places in that story of unfolding, that's important. In our time, this time around, it's not just about getting to when Jesus comes again. The journey that gets to that return includes you. It includes me. That includes your kids. It includes your grandkids. The question is, will you take your part? Will you take your place in that journey of the coming of the new creation? Will you take your spot? As I said earlier, we are in these last days of the new covenant when we, like the people of Israel, we are having to wait, we're having to long for God to show up again. Well, we do need God to show up again. We're in this transition point in history. And like this tiny family of three, they got to prepare for the birth of And we're also called to prepare for the coming of Jesus. And how do we do this? We do this as a people who are still getting together. We're still getting together to celebrate. We're coming around those who are themselves longing to be vindicated, who are going through life without relief, without reward, without respite. And that person could be you, right? Someone that you're now longing to be vindicated by, by God after all that you've been through, after all that you've experienced and as faithful as you've been in your life to follow after His will. Perhaps even the church, that you know, we can call an institution, has been struck with deafness and muteness. Right? Not for nine months, but for nine decades now and longer having lost our prophetic voice in this world. And we've grown deaf to the cries of the lost and the losers of the world. Perhaps we've forgotten that what we have been instructed in the Bible because it has been so long since we cared to remember. But even in the sad and sorry state of our institutional numbness, the Holy Spirit is actually still conceiving and gestating in us fresh prophetic praise, fresh prophetic blessings to be sung out loud to the world, 
for it to hear again the good news of Jesus, news that has forgotten, forsaken, has been laid aside for many years ago. It's now our time to take a step of faith. This is our moment of decision. And that we would burst out a surprising spiritual song. The lyrics that we sing would be public endorsement to Jesus, proclaiming that everything will not end badly at all, but that everything and everyone shall have their part and places in the story of salvation. God will finally sort everything and everyone out. And you know what? Our names will be vindicated alongside the name of Jesus, who himself had suffered tremendously, who had died and raised to life again. That's God vindicating his son. So let us, like John, Elizabeth, and Zechariah, let's be a people who are preparing the way of Jesus. People are still getting together yet again to celebrate the birth of Messiah tonight, tomorrow. We're still coming around others, and we get to name Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we may sing out his praises yet again to the glory of his coming again to make all things new. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.